the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Brendan Burgess of AskAboutMoney.com and Joe Brennan of the Irish Times about the Central Bank of Ireland's final report into the tracker mortgage scandal. What does this sorry saga tell us about the culture of the Irish banking industry and have the banks learnt any lessons from this? But first, Peter Hampton joins me in the studio to run through some of the major business stories of the week. Peter, you're very welcome. We're Thanks, going to start girl. with Mark Carney and the IMF and the fact that somebody has uh, remembered or discovered that Mark Carney has some Irish roots. He does. He has Irish citizenship and so Ireland has been approached at the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, to throw support behind Mark Carney, presently the Bank of England governor. Um, They want him to replace Christine Lagarde as the next head of the fund. This is traditionally a role left for Europeans. Mark Carney... The Americans Canadian. Uh, typically head up the World Bank. Yeah. The Europeans uh, generally get Take the head of the, of IMF. the IMF. Christine Lagarde, obviously French, and she's uh, heading off to a plum role in the European Central Bank. Yeah, and before her, uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, another, another French man. So he is Canadian primarily, but he also has British and uh, a British and an Irish passport separately. And uh, so he, he's being touted as a possible replacement for uh, Christine Lagarde. Um, so why is Ireland being tapped? Why, I mean, why didn't they go to Britain and say, why don't you uh, suggest your Bank of England's governor to be the next head of the IMF? Well, there seems to be some reluctance by European countries to include Britain in this uh, on account of the fact that they're leaving the European Union. So uh, Britain is not likely to have as much of a say in this as they would have in in previous years. But nevertheless, Mark Carney is set touted as a possibility. Other potential candidates include the Dutch finance minister, uh, Jerome Dieselbloom, and the Eurogroup chairman, Mario Santino. So, I mean, there are a few choices. And George Osborne, who's a former chancellor in the UK, but he's now editor of the Evening Standard. (laughs) He's uh, been touting his... advisor to BlackRock, yeah. Yeah, he's been touting his credentials as well. He'd fancy the job too. Well, he wouldn't. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Look, the the, the pay is very good. It's better than what Christine Lagarde will earn at the ECB. Um, Mark Carney earns about £883,000 at the Bank of England. Not too shabby. He earns slightly less than that. It's more around £600 uh, at the IMF. So it's still uh, a pretty decent pay packet. All right. And that's a job based in New York? It is. Um, Okay, now, Dunsores have been on the acquisition trail again and they've been buying up some brand extensions, I suppose, um, to uh, deliver something different to their customers and they've also been revamping their stores, etc. And they had a run at a couple of other businesses. Uh, it didn't happen. But um, they've uh, they've narrowed their focus to a supermarket group in yeah, sorts. This one is a kind of a funny one. What they're doing is they're proposing to take over JC Savage Supermarket, JC's in Swords, as it would be known locally. Yeah. So the company behind that owns the Swords shopping centre uh, and JC's is the supermarket they're in. Um, so this is a, an unusual one because, as you mentioned, what they've been doing is they've been... Uh, acquiring add-ons like Whelan's Butchers and they've done deals with Sheridan's Cheesemongers to try they and... Cafe Sol as well, so they have Sol. cafes now in a number of their supermarkets and shopping centres. Yeah, but they haven't gone for a supermarket uh, before and, and this is uh, an addition to that. Now, they, they, they tried unsuccessfully to get uh, Donnybrook uh, Fair and Avoca, so they were unsuccessful. 
Here, um, this has gone to the CCPC, so the uh, acquiree is obviously happy enough with this. The shop itself was established in 1977 by the late Swords businessman J.C. Savage, still controlled by the Savage family. But business there has been tough uh, since the arrival of the German disc- one German discounter in particular, and that's Lidl. Um, the most recent accounts for the company for 2017 show that turnover there fell 17%, 22.4 million, mm. and they made a loss of in excess of half what a What kind million. of presence does Dunn's have in the Swords area at the minute? Down the road, they have a supermarket, and and I I suppose therein lies the problem for the CCPC in the Swords Pavilion. So that's their presence there. Um, and and look, generally, Dunn's is, is a huge player now in the Irish grocery market, controlling a fifth of the eleven billion euro grocery market. So there's not huge barriers for for their success here, given that this is only one store rather than a chain. Uh, they are still, of course, looking at other acquisitions. They're rumoured to be interested in Fallon and Byrne, and uh, they previously, quite recently, made an approach to buy uh, base wood-fired pizza. So yeah, a story that was revealed exclusively in the Irish Times by our colleague Mark Paul. Very interesting. Um, any sense, I mean, Dunn's never comments to the media on anything, but any sense as to whether they'd keep the JC's brand or whether Dunn's stores would be put over the front door? Not as far as I'm aware, um, uh, th- that could well change. But given that they have won so close, it's it's hard to see what they would do with this brand. They seem to be very keen to roll out this enhanced Dunstores brand with these enhanced add-ons like Whelan's, as we mentioned, and, and Café Sol, etc. All right. Now, you were um, at the Home Building Finance Ireland review earlier this week. There was a, uh, a press briefing and Pascal Dunahoo, the Minister for Finance, was there. Home uh, Building Finance Ireland was um, set up uh, it came out of budget 2019, I guess, um, to try and help kickstart uh, some house building in Ireland. And they had their first six-month review. Um, what did Pascal Dunahoo tell us? They did. Well, what we learned was that they financed 41 million worth of developments for 228 properties since it was uh, established on January 28th of this year. The key thing Home Building, Home building Finance Ireland, HBFI, want to do is finance properties outside of Dublin. Now, they did finance some properties in Dublin, but anecdotally, there's evidence that banks aren't financing properties outside so that's what they were set up to do the number of units they finance suggests an average cost per unit of just over €179,000 which is good because we understand that building costs are about 180000 for a typical three bed and where are these CD. units? Uh, they're spread across Kildare, Leash uh, there's some in Wicklow and there are some in Dublin as I mentioned but there are applications so it's actually commuter counties it is at the moment mm. but there are if you look at I suppose the, the map for applications it does spread around uh, around the seaboard There's not so much in the Midlands for whatever reason but they're targeting financing of 7,500 units in five years they need to ramp it up fairly significantly to hit that number now Pascal Donoghue the Minister of Finance himself said that years two and three will be slightly busier one would hope so if they are to meet that target and who makes the applications, Peter? These are house builders and they have to have 20% equity going into this. So the, the bar is relatively high. Uh, they can go for bank finance either if they want. And because of state aid rules, HBFIs, rates aren't a whole lot different to, to, to the banks. So th- these are developers who the banks are turning down really because of the location of the development, but who have cash to to progress the development to some degree. Okay, so taxpayers are on the hook potentially here. Taxpayers are on the hook, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is entirely taxpayers' money if it goes south, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Now, separately, the Help to Buy scheme, which was introduced a few years ago to help first-time buyers get on the property ladder, that's due to expire this year. Did Pascal Dunahoo give any indication as to whether he's going to renew it? He, well, he called it a very valuable scheme, uh, is what he said, but he, he failed to commit to its retention. He said it's, 
as I mentioned, he said it's played this valuable role, but he's going to make a decision around its continuation in the context of Budget 2020. So that'll be in October before we know. But there has been sounds from government that it will be extended. Leo Varadkar and, and Taoiseach suggested this, the scheme could be extended. Owen Murphy also called it valuable yesterday at this briefing. And they said, well, Owen Murphy said that he's been having conversations already with Pascal Donoghue about the extension of the health Well, you'd, you'd hope so. He is the housing minister after all. Indeed. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's Pascal's decision uh, whether, it, whether it continues. And it is a budgetary measure as we see a growth in the number of houses coming to market. Uh, it becomes a more expensive scheme, particularly given that price houses, uh, the house prices have continued to rise. OK. Now, the world's first plastic waste to wax conversion plant has opened in Portlaoise, of all places. That's right. The company is called Trifol and they produce this eco-friendly wax from 100% plastic waste, which can then be used in personal cosmetics, chewing gum and candles. Um, so each tonne of wax produced takes two tonnes of plastic waste out of the system. And so what kind of plastic are we talking about? Because there's hard and soft plastic yeah, and some plastic are, can't be recycled exactly. and so forth. Exactly. So uh, strictly what they want is polyethylene and polypropylene. So what they are uh, are in the likes of plastic bags and cling film, things we can't now recycle in our green bins. We can recycle rigid pl- plastics, but we can't recycle soft plastics. They ultimately want those to go into the green bin so that they can... So this is very eco-friendly. It is very eco-friendly. And at the moment, what they're getting is waste from companies and they'd also be getting waste from farms like silage wrap, things like that, that, that currently can't be recycled. It has to go into a, a waste bin and it would be incinerated. So uh, they have capacity in their first phase to produce 3,500 tonnes of wax. That'll double by the second so phase. How handles might that be? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but personal cosmetics and also for like uh, because wax is being used in in in, in the production of oil, um, and that's taking a lot out of the uh, a lot out of the supply chain. So there are plenty of markets that this could go into. Uh, it, it certainly wouldn't be. Wouldn't and is be this purely for domestic market? Are they exporting? Are oh, they planning to export? Yeah, they're, they're planning to export. They're planning to they're planning to to take waste in and and sell sell wax to to export markets given that there is a shortage of supply in some markets uh, because wax is used for lubrication for for the production of oil yeah sure okay well with all the concerns around uh, climate change and so forth they could be onto a winner there mm. peter thank you for joining us thank you we're going to take a short break now when we return i'll be talking about the tracker mortgage scandal to brendan burgess of askaboutmoney.com and joe brendan of the irish times back in a few moments only 29 percent of us know how much we need to live on in retirement Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, remember to subscribe for free so you'll never miss a weekly episode. And it'd be great if you could give us a rating or review. Now, on Tuesday, the Central Bank of Ireland produced its final report on the tracker mortgage scandal in, two, in 2015. The regulator launched an industry-wide uh, examination into tracker mortgages amid evidence that many customers had been denied this low-cost interest rate post the 2008 financial crash. So joining me in studio to go through some of the numbers and to recap this saga are Joe Brennan of the Irish Times and Brendan Burgess of AskAboutMoney.com. Joe, uh, we'll start with you. You've been covering this now for a number of years. What were the headline numbers in the report? 
Yeah, so this is the, the, the final, final report, it would appear, from the, uh, the central bank. And, and it's gone up. So the number of, of cases that have been identified by the banks and acknowledged by the, the central bank as having been uh, caught up in the, in the tracker mortgage scandal is 40,100 cases. That's up about 300 from the last update, which would have been uh, mm. on figures as of the end of, uh, end of, of December. Um, in total, about 683 million has been paid out to 98% of the people that have been caught up in it. Um, the 2%, most of the 2% remaining are cases where banks have been have found difficult to actually get hold of or track down the individuals. Most of them would have been had previous customers, some would have left the country to trace them to actually uh, to, to, to pay them the money. Now, the central bank has asked the banks to ring fence or put into escrow uh, the, the sums that would be due to these. Do we know how much? 2%, well, 2% of... of um, 683, so you're talking somewhere in the region of about yeah, mm. 12, 15 million, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, now, there's a higher cost to the banks uh, from, from this. I mean, that's just the redress and compensation they've paid. The banks have also paid out fees to various advisors and lawyers and so forth. So, uh, do we have a, a ballpark figure for what this will cost but, the industry as a whole? Well, provisions have been taken by the banks to date um, are in the region of about 1, 1.1 billion. Um, but we've seen in recent months that uh, that permanent TSB has been the first bank that actually has been fined. Uh, all six lenders, the main lenders caught up in the are subject to enforcement investigations. The first of those was fined uh, in, in May of this year, 21 million. So it may be the case on that basis that some of them have to top up uh, the, the element of uh, money they put it aside for, for uh, fines. Yeah, now a lot of people, a lot of families lost their homes as a result of this, and a lot of people who had investment properties lost those properties as well as a result yeah, of this. Yeah, we've updated figures again from the central bank on that. Um, they're saying that 99 uh, owner-occupier homes were uh, lost mm. as a result, as a direct result of the tracker uh, scandal. And you're talking about 216 uh, buy-to-let properties. Um, yeah, and I think of the 683 million, about 54 million of that has gone to the 315 cases where properties have been lost. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, have you advised any of the people who were impacted by the scandal? Uh, yes, they come up regularly and ask about money, you know, people asking questions. Mm. And um, I've helped a few people make appeals on different issues. You can, if, if you're not happy with what you've been offered by way of the tracker rate or the compensation or the redress, you can appeal that. So I've worked with a few people on appeals to the appeals panel and I'm currently helping, helping a few people who've been rejected by the appeals panel in going to the ombudsman. Yeah. So, I mean, this is essentially something that dates back about a decade. The central bank launched its examination back in 2015. And here we are roughly three and a half years on with the with the final report. This has almost been concluded. I think it's fair to say that the banks really had to be dragged, kicking and screaming to the table to accept the, the full magnitude of this problem. Yes. the It's a very interesting assessment of the central bank. They were very slow to get involved. Mm. Why? Well, when they... Got, you know, I think I, I think well. One thing they were very busy with other issues, like in the aftermath of the financial crisis, they weren't really prioritising what was happening to consumers. You know, they wanted to keep the banks sorted. They wanted to assess the uh, you know capitalisation of the banks and all that. They really didn't have you know their best people assigned to looking after consumer interests. And you know, if there's a fire going on, you, you put out that fire and you you look at some of the other problems later on. But they have overall done a very good job on this. I mean, I'm saying since 
since they got involved, I'd be giving them about 8 out of 10. I obviously disagree with their interpretation on a couple of issues, but by and large, I mean, you know, let me be quite clear. 40,100 people are getting redress and compensation. Without the central bank's involvement, I would say no more than 400 people. I mean, it's like it's that significant. Well, they seem to know? suggest in their own report that about 20,000 of those cases were as a result of the central bank's intervention, direct intervention. Yeah, I was. I saw that and I was wondering where they got that figure from. The reality of it is, I don't think, I, I think the banks identified customers themselves, you know, being told to do so by the central bank. And then later on, central bank came along and said, yeah, yeah, but what about these guys over here? You haven't included those people. So I think that's what they mean. But if you think about it, uh, you have a proper a problem with your tracker mortgage. You, you think you lost your tracker mortgage and you shouldn't have. You go to the ombudsman. And not many cases got through the ombudsman. Like the ombudsman was very strict in their interpretation. They read the clauses in the contract and they said, this does not entitle you to a tracker mortgage. You know, And they rejected most of the tracker claims. Now, where they did identify some issues, and I think the first systemic issue was in 2010 with Bank of Ireland. Um, Bank of Ireland had a few judgments uh, against them by the ombudsman. The ombudsman went to the central bank and said, look, I think there's a pattern here. And Bank of Ireland very, very quickly turned around and said, OK, 5,000 people, we're giving you back your trackers. And because that was 2010, the gap hadn't risen between uh, tracker mortgages and standard variable rates. So it was actually quite a small issue at the time. There was no compensation. There was redress. You got the overcharge back, but that was all. There was no compensation. And it probably didn't need to be because people's lives hadn't been damaged that much by it. So that was the, the first big group. And then what happened was permanent TSB had a ruling by the ombudsman uh, against them. And they didn't like that, so they went to the High Court. Mm. And, they, and the High they were Court were going to go to the Supreme Court. The it? High Court, like the judgment in the High Court, was really savage against them. You know, said like that sort of legal argument would would get marks in an, an undergraduate legal exam for creativity, but has no role in the interpretation of consumer contracts. But of course, then PTSB said, "Okay, we'll go to the Supreme Court." And I think that's what really got the central bank going, saying, look, you know, you're just dragging this out. Go and sort these people out. And then based on that, they said, OK, all the banks, you're all to look and see if there's any, any similar stuff in your books. Yeah. Jo- it still took the, the central bank another 10 months. I think it was February 2015 when, when TSB decided to actually halt that case, that appeal. It took another 10 months before the central bank itself directed the rest of the banks to go through their figures. And, you know, judging by, by Bank of Ireland, I mean, it was back in 2010 when the central bank had been alive to issues in, 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 uh, in uh, regarding tracker mortgages. Yeah, sure. And bank, thousands more cases came out of Bank of Ireland, didn't they? Who are the worst offenders, Joe, in, in all of this? Let's go through some of the numbers. Bank yeah, bank. so if you're including Bank of Ireland, the, the 5,100 uh, cases back in, 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 in uh, 2010, they were addressed in 2010, an additional um, uh, 970, sorry, 9,730 cases uh, have emerged as per the, the last figures. So you're talking between 14 and 15,000 uh, okay, cases. Okay, that's Bank of Ireland. That's Bank of Ireland. AIB um, would be saying 
second. Uh, it was the main driver of the increase from the end of December to the end of May, the most recent figures, and its figures uh, come at 12,180. Uh, of that, um, 6,000, almost half of those, were customers who were just given a nominal amount of 1,650. I know these are cases you would have been talking about a lot, uh, Brendan. Absolutely. Um, and they're claiming that it was a service failure. There were people who weren't on, uh, they weren't fixed rates originally, they weren't on trackers, but they were entitled to a tracker after that, when it came to uh, potentially being offered a tracker, they, the bank was saying that the prevailing rate at that stage would have been 7.9%, almost 8%, uh, which would have been you know way higher than their standard variable mortgage at that stage. Yeah. So they only just got a, a nominal amount. Permanent TSB, which was the really be, the beginnings of of the, uh, the the investigation or the examination that was ordered by the central bank is, um, uh, as of uh, the most recent figures, just over 2,000 uh, cases. Again, th- that, w- that was settled with permanent TSP when they were fined in, in May. 21 million, a record fine, yeah. Yeah. Um, after that, Ulster Bank, um, 5,500 cases. Uh, KBC Bank, when you think back to two years ago, before the banks were hauled, before the Eroctus Committee, before the Minister for Finance got involved, KBC, we understand we're talking about less than 100 cases. That's r- ratcheted right up to uh, 3,769. And then there, that's the, 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 the five main, uh, main lenders. Below that, you have a, a number of mortgage lenders that would have exited the market, uh, including Bank of Scotland, about 500 cases, Danske Bank, about 115 cases. Irish Nationwide, which has had, and you've spoken a lot in the past about, Brendan, about uh, Irish Nationwide and its own uh, pricing uh, of, of cases in arrears before, before, during the boom, unusually had a very small number of cases in this, only 16 cases. Um, had that something to do with the IBRC liquidation? They did, they did very few uh, trackers. They yeah. just, they just yeah. did not do trackers. Yeah. Okay. You, right. did, you didn't go to Irish Nationwide to get a cheap mortgage. You, go, you went there because you couldn't get one anywhere else. Yeah. And Springboard, which was the subprime lending uh, unit that belonged to permanent TSB, had about 20, 220 cases. All right, there was a fine there as well, which PTSB had to pick up the tab for. Exactly, um, 4.5. Joe, Brendan has given the Central Bank 8 out of 10 for its work on this uh, examination. Um, how do you think they've performed? Um, we're looking to give it a mark, but um, the central bank, I mean, it would claim that uh, half of the cases that have been acknowledged have been driven by its actions over the last two years. Uh, if you speak to someone in, in political circles, they would claim that uh, the minister himself was largely behind this in, in forcing the central bank to come up with a, a cultural review, bringing the banks before. The Rochtus Committee would say that it has you know, played a, a major role. And in, I think it has. Also, in terms of the central bank, the central bank would say itself that it was always going to get to that endpoint. It was just that maybe there was a catalyst there when it really crescendoed back in October, November of, of, of 2017. Would we be here where we are now? Um, as early as now, even though it's three and a half years since the examination was started, without the intervention of the Department of Finance or the Iraqis Finance Committee, I don't know. Yeah, Brendan, we mentioned earlier the number of people who lost their own homes and, and there were investors who lost properties as well. But let's take the people who lost their own uh, family homes. The average compensation being paid to those is €194,000. Is that good enough? Does well, that I really compensate a, you for losing have, your family home? I have a different view on this. I mean, I've campaigned for a lot of people who lost their trackers. I've also campaigned for a lot of people in deep mortgage arrears. But I have yet to come across anybody who has lost their home 
because they lost their tracker. There were people who lost their trackers and they lost their homes, but the two were very tenuously connected. I mean, most people who lost their homes lost them because they handed back the keys because they were in deep negative equity and they were paying nothing. So, you know, if, if you're, in some cases, you're earning nothing. If you lose your job, it doesn't really matter whether the interest rate so is So you're suggesting that these people are quids in then? Hugely. Absolutely hugely. There were people there who, who got massive compensation who, in my view, I wouldn't have given them the compensation at all. I, now, I haven't come across, obviously I haven't seen all 99 cases, but, you see, one of the, the only way I can see how you could possibly say somebody lost their home because they lost their tracker, somebody who was paying something on their mortgage, would be if you said, OK, the banks restructured 120,000 mortgages and did some very generous restructuring. So they, they deemed some of these mortgages as unsustainable because they were on SVRs. But the banks were so generous that they could have actually found a really generous solution if these people had been on trackers. So you'd have to make a huge number of assumptions. So I know, by the way, this is a, um, a, a solo opinion on this, and uh, I, I've been attacked for suggesting this, but I have yet to see anybody now who has lost their home as a result of losing their tracker. And when people lost their tracker and got compensation for it, for, like throughout like the whole group of them, uh, like virtually all of their problems were often attributed to losing the tracker, even if the amount of money that they lost was actually quite small. I mean, some people had very low repayments and the tracker didn't cost them that much. Like one, one, one issue is, let's say you've been overcharged 100 euros a month and your income is 5,000 euros a month. Well, then, as far as I'm concerned, you haven't suffered any real distress. I mean, you should get your money back and you should get a little bit of compensation. But if you've been overcharged by 1,000 a month when your income is 2,000 a month, then you really deserve So why has this compensation been paid? I think they're unable to, you know, uh, you know, follow the logic of causation here. And they sort Who's of unable to follow it? Sorry, the central bank? Uh, the central bank, yeah. And I think they gave guidelines and said if people lost their homes, uh, who, if people who had tracker, who lost their trackers lost their homes, then give them huge compensation. And that was done. As I say, there might be cases, but I, I'm, I just I find it extremely hard to see that anybody, like anybody who was able to pay the amount of a tracker mortgage, even if they had been on a standard variable rate, would not have lost their homes. They'd have got a restructuring. Yeah. Now, mind you, uh, tracker or no tracker, whatever the impact might have been uh, on the tracker, losing your home, having to give up your home, even if you're surrendering the keys, it's a pretty stressful thing to have to do. Absolutely. It's, a, yeah, it's something know, of a life changing. Joe, lost do, their homes. do you share Brendan's view on this? Presumably, a, a number of those that would have lost their homes would have participated in an involuntary sale. So that would have been part of the restructure that was offered to them. Um, I mean, I suppose, you know. Given the way that the central bank has really kind of pushed as far as possible for banks to get their arms around this and just draw a line underneath it, if it was in any way contributory to a person losing their home, they probably would have erred on the side of the greater compensation in that summary. case. Yeah, OK. Joe, what does this tell us about the culture of banking in Ireland? Um, 
not much. <laughs> um, basically, um, so the when the minister hauled in the CEOs of the banks before him in October 2017, he also asked the central bank to carry out a review of the culture of the banks. Um, it had been the first time in a long time, I suppose. The, the regulator and the banks had all been, you know, just worrying about how, you know, to get the bank's capital levels up to sell off non-performing loans, to try and improve the profitability. They weren't really looking at the the, the, the culture. This was the real first kind of root and branch kind of review of culture at that stage. And I kind of threw up a few things. And the main thing was that banks, you know, even as of two years ago, or even as of last year, had, you know, were, senior bankers had very much a kind of a firefighting kind of, we're still in firefighting mode, uh, rather than actually trying to look at consumers and, and, and positive consumer outcomes. As a result of that, um, the central bank has really kind of prioritised just culture, reviewing banks' culture and pushing boards and pushing senior management to uh, to try and, you know, basically what is culture? Culture is what you do when no one's looking to try and improve that. Uh, and, you know, there, there is, you know, there, there was a threat of maybe banks having to hold additional capital at some stage in the future um, for having, you know, for being open to kind of cultural failings. So the banks saw this coming down the tracks. So they went ahead and they set up this Irish Banking uh, Cultural Board, um, similar to what had been set up in the UK uh, post the uh, LIBOR scandal there. And in that, the banks are trying to kind of take ownership of the situation. They are basically carrying out uh, annual reviews of interviewing staff to see what the main issues are for them. They carried out the first one in October before the, the culture board was set up and that in itself kind of spelled out a number of problems. I think uh, one of the main findings of the survey was that a third of staff wanted to raise concerns over the previous year, uh, mainly in relation to how their firm was treating their customers. Uh, and of that, two out of five of those that had concerns didn't even bother to go ahead with it because they feared that there would be repercussions for themselves or that there'd be no action would be taken for it anyway. So it kind of shows how much has to be done really to try and improve the culture of the banks. Yeah. Brendan, I've been reporting on the banks for many, many years, um, more years than I care to remember, as they say. And, you know, by and large, I would say, with maybe one or possibly two exceptions, they're all kind of, you know, nice people who run the banks, the CEOs, the CFOs. Uh, the chairman, etc. They all seem like very reasonable people, smart people, intelligent people, um, emotionally intelligent and so forth. And yet we've had uh, a series of scandals at the banks going back, you know, 40, maybe 50 years. If you look at it, the dirt tax um, scandal, ICI with AIB, uh, we had Rusnak with AIB. We've had all sorts of failings at the bank, banks and, you know, the financial crash, now this, uh, etc., What's wrong within uh, Irish banking culture that that these things keep cropping up on a regular basis and that we have situations where either the taxpayer has to come in and, and bail it out or regulators have to wave a big stick? You know, I think there's a competence issue in a lot of areas of Irish society. I mean, look at the health service and people will say, we're not good at managing very large organisations um, so that's one problem. I mean, so I remember... CRH strikes me as a very well-organised organisation, and that's global, it's big, it's... it's. Yeah, no, no, I mean, there, OK, there are a few very good... There are a few examples of very well-run organisations. Ryanair is certainly well-run. Um, the banks, I don't know... I don't know what it is about the banks. Um, uh, I I mean, today, like, I mean, I'm, I'm still very clear about... I mean, people say this is the biggest mortgage scandal ever. 
30, 40,000 people affected, say 30,000 seriously affected. Actually, no, it's not. There are 300,000 people affected that we've been paying the highest mortgage rates in Europe for a number of years. I mean, the reason these 30,000 people had their lives so badly damaged was not just because they lost trackers. I mean, if they had lost trackers and were paying the average eurozone interest rates, well, then we actually, you know, they'd hardly have noticed. But they went from lowest, uh, from the lowest mortgage rate in Europe to the highest mortgage rates in Europe. And that's why these people are so badly affected. But there seems to be no sympathy at all for the 300,000 ordinary borrowers out there who never had a tracker, never had a mention of a tracker. And today, a lot of those people are paying 4.5%. Now, they could get a reduction if they, they sought it. But, you know, people say, well, these 99 people, they lost their houses because uh, they lost their trackers. Well, by that logic, then, there must be a 1,000 people who lost their houses because they're paying the highest mortgage rates in Europe. So we still have what I would consider, um, you know, uh, a failure to address these sort of issues. Well, why, why do these failures keep cropping up? What's wrong with Irish banking that this continues to happen time and time and time again? Um, I don't know. As I said, I was trying to uh, come up with the example of the HSE, but then you corrected me with the CRH example. And, uh, no, I mean, I look, the HSE have, is a basket case. I think everybody yeah, would accept that. Um, we have, you know, I, I don't know, maybe the banks don't attract the right people. I mean, that's another issue. Look, you know, there's a, 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 a serious problem facing the banks now that they have a half a million euro salary cap. You know, the, the people that would be required to resolve these issues, that would have the leadership to deal with these issues, you're not going to get those for half a million euros. Really? Absolutely not, no. Joe, do you agree? Uh, I think it's less about the, um, the, 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 the salary cap. It's more about the incentives for, for, for bankers. So, you know, the, 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 the bonus schemes that you have for, for performance-related uh, pay. Well, we had great bonus schemes. They had wonderful bonuses. Brian Goggin and uh, Eugene Shee, yeah, the Anglo boys, they got wonderful I'm bonuses. About, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the old bonus scheme, the schemes of yore. I'm talking about, the, you know, properly structured ones, uh, like the ones along the guidelines of the European Banking Authority, where you have clawbacks um, in the event of wrongdoing. All right. We should say, of course, um, these banking issues, culture issues, don't just exist in Ireland. They seem to exist in plenty of other uh, countries around the world, uh, UK, US, um, etc. Brendan, would you have any confidence um, that the culture within Irish banking is going to change as a result of this? There's been a huge focus on this tracker mortgage no, issue. We have this banking culture board now, uh, which has been paid for by the industry, as Joe has mentioned. I, 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 I find those sort of vague concepts like banking culture very difficult to deal with. I think it's, uh, lads, instead of actually offering customers a, a fair mortgage rate and actually treating customers properly, do you know what we'll do? We'll pretend to do something and we'll set up a cultural board and we'll we'll bring in these great guys, these well-known people, and we'll tick these boxes and we'll say, look, we're dealing with it. We've set up a culture board. You know what? I want them to come around and start cutting mortgage rates towards the levels in the rest of the Eurozone. I, I understand, by the way, because we don't allow repossessions in this country. I understand that they've got to be higher interest rates on the higher loan-to-value mortgages, the riskier mortgages. Um, but, you know, overall, Irish mortgage rates are way too high, and that's an issue that we should be dealing with. I'd deal with that, and then they could just wind up the culture board. But there you have, you know, regulators fighting the last crisis. So, you know, Irish banks have to hold, you know, for every €1,000 Euros 
it is a good a good buddy stockbroker's figure um, based on their analysis of of, of the uh, of the capital that banks have to hold. Basically, for every thousand that's out on loan to uh, mortgage customers, uh, bank, Irish banks have to hold fifty million. Sorry, fifty uh, fifty euros in reserve. If you compare that to the European average, you're talking sixteen. Yeah, that's a figure that Brian Hayes. Um gave me during an interview I did with him last week, Brian Hayes, Fine Gael politician, who's just become head of the Banking and, and Payments Federation Ireland. Um, and that's all very well, but nonetheless, I mean, Brendan's point is well made about um, the high mortgage rates that are being charged here. But if banks, if Irish banks are so profitable, it'll be turning up in the returns on, on equity, which is the ultimate definition of what, how profitable banks are. And they are in the bottom half. And we're, so not seeing, the case we're, not seeing, we're not seeing a load of uh, international banks flooding into the Irish market. The problem with the international banks if an international bank comes into the Irish market, they would have to, they would be required more capital. Like a, a German bank that has lent to homeowners in Germany, uh, 80% loan to value, uh, you know, three times income on a conservative basis, under these stupid central bank rules, they would actually require more capital than Irish banks who have lent 100% mortgages and five times income. Like, it's a farcical situation. The central bank, which is really the ECB, is keeping competition out of Ireland. Um, and, you know, I have campaigned, and again, uh, gone out on a limb to say that people who do not pay their mortgages and who don't engage should be repossessed quickly. Though I must say, I heard David Hall saying that on your podcast last week. I was delighted to hear him agree with me on that. Um, I well, he talked about a tsunami of repossessions. Would you agree with that analysis? Absolutely not. No, I'd, uh, you know, I'd love if there were a tsunami. I, I'd, I'd like to You'd see. You'd love it. Oh, absolutely. There's a You'd lot love of people to see people lose their family homes. Uh, absolutely. The people who are not paying their mortgages, the people who are not engaging with their banks, and there's a lot of them out there. I want to see those people uh, um, lose their homes. Absolutely. Uh, because that is the cause. That's why we have the highest mortgage rates. That's part of the reason. That's the excuse the banks can use. Say, look. This is unsecured lending, lads. We can't get people out of their homes, even if they don't pay. You saw that prominent case recently uh, where somebody hasn't paid their mortgage for eight years and is still in their home. Yeah. Um, okay. It's um, uh, unprecedented. Uh, yeah, sure. But I mean, if these people um, are turfed out of their homes, they've got to live somewhere. Where yeah. are they going to live? We're in the midst of a housing crisis. Well, actually, a lot of people are now in positive equity. And still not paying their mortgage, so it's how many it's, people? Do you have you analysis of that? Do yes, you have so long-term of that? arrears. Long-term arrears. It's about seventy-five percent are in positive equity. I mean, house prices have gone up dramatically over the last few years. So the old situation was we just assumed everybody was in one hundred and fifty percent loan to value, three years arrears, and the poor people they hadn't any money and they couldn't pay their mortgage and they were doing their best. But now the central bank produced the figures and it's about, from the from the top of my head, it's about 75% are now in positive equity and some of those in substantial positive equity. So if those houses are repossessed, they will have a lump of money with which to rent a house somewhere else. Yeah, uh, Joe, Brendan is suggesting that a lot of people are gaming the system um, and they should lose their homes. Would you agree? Um... So I think as a society, and I think we, you know, a, a decision has been taken to, you know, slow down repossessions, not to not move uh, like you would see in, in the US and even the UK, if you saw the similar, t- similar kind of countries, we saw the similar level of arrears. And I think that's possibly a good thing, that you don't just move, the, you work with people as much as possible. There is a, a kind of a point at which maybe something has to be done. But if that decision has been taken by a society that you don't turf people out, there is a cost. 
and the cost is higher rates for everyone else. Yeah, sure. Um, Brendan, just going back to the tracker um, issue, there was uh, there were a cohort of people who felt they should have been given a tracker, um, but they were actually rejected as, as part of this process. Are, are we talking about many people here? Do you think some people were should have been part of this redress scheme and, and have been denied? There's a there's a few different cohorts. Okay, um, are broad categories. There's a category of people who got the right tracker rate. Um, who've been redressed correctly but they're unhappy with the compensation level and they can go to the appeals panel or the ombudsman if they want more money for the distress cause. And that's happened. That, and that that's is happening. happening. Yeah, yeah, it's happening and that's fine. Then there's a group of people who, for example, AIB, 6,000 people that Joe was talking about earlier on, who came off a fixed rate, were not offered a tracker mortgage and now have been told, well, although we didn't give you a tracker, you know what, you didn't lose out because it would have been so expensive, you wouldn't have chosen it. And those 6,000 people are going through the process, appeals panel, ombudsman and probably high court as well. But then you've got the third cohort where the bank said to people, sorry, you were not impacted. You never had a right to a tracker. We don't interpret the legislation or the contract in that way. Um, Now, they are now completely snookered. They can't go to the ombudsman because it's statute barred. And so they can't go to the high court because it's statute barred. So they know where to go, essentially. They were refused a tracker. You know, they're complaining about something that happened maybe 10 years ago and the time limit is six years. So they're completely and utterly snookered. And um, now, to be fair to the central bank, I think the central bank pushed the banks, uh, you know, and got in almost all the cases. I think there might be a couple of cases that people say, oh, they should be in. And there are a few other cases that I think people say, actually, they shouldn't be in. So I I don't think there's that many in that category. I think Porik Porik Hassan has said 5,000. I I wouldn't agree with that number, though. All right, Joe, could this happen again? I mean, the central bank has made the point that it's putting in place a new enforcement uh, framework. So uh, can we be sure that something like this can't happen again? Uh, We can never be sure when it comes to banks, either in Ireland or internationally. Hmm. And is the enforcement framework that they're talking about and the new well, rules? That's, that that's probably one of the more promising things. Uh, this um, uh, senior executive accountability regime, which the government is looking to frame laws around it, uh, and the central bank will will, will will be in charge of it. Um, so it'll make it easier to, 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 to pinpoint individuals who are wrongdoing under their watch. So basically you clearly define what your responsibilities are. So you can't avoid and say, oh, it's someone else's job uh, when wrongdoing is, is found. And crucially with that, um, if you are going, if the central bank is, is moving against an individual, they first must find that the firm that they belong to uh, actually carried out the infraction. Um, now they can actually go after, or when this comes through, they can go after individuals first and prove that individuals are the first. Okay, we'll see uh, how it all plays out. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Brendan Burgess and Joe Brennan. Declan Conlon produced the show with Rob O'Sullivan as sound engineer. Remember that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>